Information about the world of running, inspiration to fuel passion and excellence, and ideas for making connections and finding community. You're listening to A to Z Running. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the A to Z Running Podcast, where we help runners thrive. I'm Andy. And I am Zach. This week on the A to Z Running Podcast, we're doing something different because it's been quite a phenomenal week because many records have been dropping. There's so much happening in the world of running. And during these historic times, I think we should give it some uh, due airtime, right? Air time. Good air time. <laughs> it's not an eerie time. It's it's air time. It's an ear time. Oh, that's something even different. And we also wanted to come back to last week's topic because there's so much great discussion and interest in the topic. And so we wanted to dive into it further. Before we talk about anything, though, you need to hear us talk about everything. And in order to do that, <laughs> you go to a to z running.com and look for the word follow so that you don't miss the great stuff. But of course, that's only one avenue for finding the great stuff. And so you also want to head to the podcast platforms. We're on Google, we're on Apple, we're on all those places, as well as YouTube and subscribe, because then you don't have to go looking every time the great content needs to come to you. Please and thank you. We appreciate all of you and your interaction. In fact, I kind of impulse bought these Team USA shirts. I bought one for myself and then one that I want to give away just for fun because the Olympic trials are coming up and I thought it'd be fun to give away this Team USA shirt, size small. Anyway, head over to Instagram. It closes on Wednesday, uh, so <laughs> it's a pretty fast one, but if you want to be part of that, hop on over to Instagram. We love to connect with you. And we've had great comments there too, about our most recent episode about fuel storage and the differences between men and women, fasted state running concerns, long run efforts and fueling. And then there was a lot of references and recommendations for Stacy Sims book roar. So Zach read the book like a tiger um like a tiger roar. so yes <laughs> uh, okay well we did want to address a couple of the points because there was a lot of great conversation as yeah. Andy said and this is one of the reasons when we encourage you to like comment and ask your questions and express your insights and situations um this is one of the reasons why is because it just simply makes the content better so here's mm -hmm. an example of how the content is about to get better because of your listener comments and reactions so the first thing we i want to try to do here is clarify some of the key points from the previous episode if you did not listen to that episode this might actually be a great introduction to it yeah and then go and listen to it so you get the like the full substance but the point here being a couple of key things and then i did want to bring into the conversation stacy sims book roar because i hadn't read it prior to the previous conversation and since so many people said you have to read this i thought okay i will read it and then we'll bring that in so first <laughs> the thing we always discuss when we're talking about any kind of training considerations in any avenue related to the work of running, building fitness and such is to know the purpose of the thing you're trying to do. Like, what am I trying to accomplish? And then based off of that, now I know how to implement the thing to accomplish that. That applies to sleep. That applies to diet. That applies to hydration and of course, training and all of those things. Mm -hmm. So if your goal is to maximize performance, my goal is to accomplish as best as I can in the sport. Um, 
and and specifically performance in long distance races and marathons then as we were discussing last week in terms of like fuel storage and fuel burning we need to be efficient and effective at burning fuels specifically burning stored fuels and the various different types carbohydrates fats glycogen fats and things like that Um, mainly because our body is going to benefit much more from being able to burn its stored fuels than for us trying to ingest fuel sources while we're in the midst of the effort which we still do yeah yes but in terms of training we want to make sure we are also training not exclusively none of this is exclusively that's another thing that's always interesting but um make sure we're maximizing our body's ability to use stored fuels and there's a lot of different ways we go about that as we mentioned in the previous episode Mm -hmm. so certainly go listen to that for more detail um the other dynamic that came up a number of different times is where the conversation of performance goals and weight loss diverge and converge and the main thing here is that if you are trying to maximize weight loss and performance goals at the same time it's very difficult to do both highly effectively because they're not always going to be parallel in terms of how you accomplish that goal um so that being the case but sometimes it is there are overlaps there are yeah definitely definitely overlap Mm -hmm. and understanding where those overlaps occur is going to make a big difference here i'm actually going to address the most important one like you know talk to your doctor megan's Mm -hmm. like you know she's a nutritionist talk to a nutritionist because everyone has specific needs yeah so i can cover some general principles here but i can't tell you what to do because i don't know your situation immediately what medications you might do work directly with pete and know his situation so when he you know raised all these questions and comments we were able to work with him in the midst of all of the nuance and that's a key dynamic there so what i'm about to say here is a generalization as these things tend to be um which is the case that uh so uh general conditioning in terms of running training aerobic conditioning is the kind of thing that can accomplish both performance goals and weight loss goals at the same time fairly well in both largely because general conditioning is not race specific types of preparation and so it's something that you can have you have a little bit more wiggle room in the kinds of things that you do Um, now if you're not familiar with what general conditioning means i'll explain very briefly something in a moment but that's a much larger conversation we're not going to try to get into right now Um, so when we talk about then uh long runs and energy systems. That's one of the key aspects in terms of this general conditioning period that raised a lot of questions. And I appreciated all of those questions. Um, So how do we approach long runs? And there are a lot of different ways you can approach a long run in terms of what the workout is and what you actually do. Um, The point I'm trying to make most of the time when I talk about long runs is that for all of us, regardless of whether you're a marathoner, um, long and easy is the generally the best recommendation all the time. There are only rare instances where we would ever recommend an athlete do something other than easy for long runs. And when I say easy, it seems to be the case that there's some kind of confusion out there about what we mean by that. Because when I look at like running calculators, they actually have a pace for long run. Like they'll say, here's what you should run for your long run. And that makes no sense to me because long run is not a pace or an effort Long run is the duration of your run. So how fast you run that is not a specific recommendation just because it's a long run. Anyway, that a point aside, um, yes, easy was the point we were trying to iterate many times um, simply because that's when we talk about the fuel storage and the fuel system 
that you're trying to use and manipulate. The long, easy effort is that depletion long run kind of dynamic that you hear people talking about. Um, what we're essentially saying is that we want you to be able to run easy enough that your body can use fat storage fuels well without running into nourishment or uh, fuel problems. Um, now, there's some nuance between men and women there. I'll get to that in just a moment. Um, but the key thing here is that if we're talking about glycogen stores and fat stores, um, both of those are playing into this factor. The thing that we're not trying to do is fuel drain the run if the goal is a fuel storage efficiency thing. If I'm trying to train my fuel storage metabolism, uh, metabolizing, then I need to do that long run easy without ingesting fuel drain the run. But nuances apply and one of the main exactly. ones one of the main ones uh came up when i read stacy sims book roar um and so yes differences between men and women and i appreciated uh sims was writing in, in a number of different ways essentially uh, men and women are different physiologically which shouldn't be a surprise to anyone um but she also was bringing up the point that women are themselves andy would probably be the better person to be saying this out loud right now, but women are themselves different physiologically depending on hormonal states among a few other things. Oh yeah. So like different points in your cycle, um, for instance, not like, training cycle, no, not not menstruation. Training cycle. Yeah. Men <laughs> yeah. So if before, um, during and after menstruation for different durations. Okay. So that means that the nuances change in those things and we understand that we recognize that none of what we were trying to talk about last week and none of what i'm trying to iterate right now is specific to these nuances it's the general principles and then you have to apply or implement them based off of your current context and its nuances this is complex stuff yeah, is. this is why you need to hire us to coach no i'm kidding well i'm not i'm only somewhat kidding when i say that but this is why we as individual athletes need to be able to either make the informed and intelligent decisions ourselves by doing all the reading and all the work or and the best case scenario is doing both of these um or finding people who can help us implement these things well right and that's, and that's because they are so complicated. But uh, if I can just very briefly then address, so especially um, in some of Sim's work as she was writing through these things, talking about how um, energy systems emphasize differently in men and women, which is a fascinating thing. Uh, basically, it, they're kind of reversed of each other in a, in a general sense. So women tend to burn fat more efficiently, drain exercise than men, um, and women tend to burn carbohydrates less readily drain exercise, and then post-exercise or in the recovery period, women tend to burn carbohydrates more readily and men tend to burn fat more readily. And so then you get this conversation of, yes, as Sims affirmed, it is apparently easier for men to burn fat than women, which is something I haven't really paid a lot of attention to most of the time. But um, what that means in terms of training in that instance is that um, it's actually easier for women to maximize their fat metabolism. It's also easier for women to overdo things in that instance, especially if they're not properly nourished yes. for that kind so of So under effort. fueling, and I think that was probably the reaction, you know, from some people is that, you know, there's there's a lot of under fueling that's going on, a lot of restrictive eating in when we're distance runners, when we're endurance athletes, we need a lot of fuel <laughs> in order to do these things. Um, yeah, yeah. But the general principle, as we want to always make sure we clarify, is it's it is recommended that if you're trying to train 
energy system metabolizing of stored fuels, then that long run is the best opportunity. We don't recommend fasted state runs for these kinds of things. That wasn't the point we were trying to make it previously either, but we don't recommend fasted state runs. Instead, we recommend using a kind of depletion long run instance uh, for that. But that only ever is a good idea if your fuel storage is high. So you must be well-nourished, well-fueled. And in any instance, this is why we talk about the difference between performance and weight loss here. Because in a weight loss scenario, you may be intentionally under-fueling. And as the nutritionists like Megan tend to say, minimally, you're skimming off the top, right? Uh, but you may be intentionally underfueled in those kinds of situations. And if that is the case, then a depletion long run can in fact be a risky maneuver because you're not operating on full fuel stores. So when I say things like this, these are the general principles that tend to apply when assuming the nuance in the context. Right. So yes, now um, there's, there's so much more that we could say, and I don't want to just continue reiterating what I said previously last week either. Go back and listen to that. But remember the two most important things that establish the context for what we were talking about and what we continue to recommend with fuel storage and our fuel training is that first we do recommend doing these long runs easy all the time, easy. And in doing that easy, don't take fuel when you're doing that at that point in training, which is best during the conditioning phase. That's not su to suggest that's the only way to do or that fuel you, training. Yeah, so, or there's not other considerations. There's many factors. Many yeah. factors. And then our second point is you must, if performance is your goal, be attentive to eating well, fueling well, and balanced. Because if we're talking about all these things we just addressed, then you need carbohydrates in maximum supply, you need fats, in decent supply and you need proteins in decent supply for the recovery for all of it before, yeah. for before drain and after all this kind of stuff you need these things in your system and you need them in your system regularly so there's a lot of nuance to all of that we know um, and what we would love to do is if there are specific questions to a situation like here's my concern about what i'm doing in my situation Ask away because we love to try to Not us, though. Nutritionists or your doctor. Too. No, I'm talking about the training. <laughs> oh, the training. Yes, the training recommendations. Feel free to shoot us a message. Andy loves to tell you that I am not a nutritionist, which is true. It but is true. But I would love to help you implement your training goals in light of your situation. So while we want to uh, share this next piece here is not directly related to fueling. However, it is related to achieving our performance goals. And if you recall, not long ago, Carl, one of our athletes, did in fact achieve a massive performance yes. goal, a 20-minute marathon Woo! PR. But we also wanted him to be able to share with you why, in part, he felt that was possible. So here it is, insight from Carl into how to achieve a 20-minute marathon PR. Hey, I wanted to talk a little bit about Tobacco Road Marathon and the experience I had this during this training cycle. I know it sounds cliche, but one thing I did differently that I haven't really done in the past is I just stuck with the plan. You know, if the race or the, the schedule said to run less that day or slower that day, I would run slower. Um, there was even several times when I was out with friends and they were doing an eight mile uh, run and mine was supposed to be 60 minutes and I wasn't running the pace to keep it 60 minutes. Uh, get my eight miles done in 60 minutes. So I just slowed there, cut the, cut the race short. And then the second part really is just went into the race with a really strong strategy. Um, Zach, I know you and I talked about spending that first 10 miles just running by feel. 
And once that 10 miles was done um, to reevaluate and do some math in my head. So I did that and felt great the first 10 miles. And then as I was continuing on through, I remember at mile 19, 19 and a half, I started thinking, man, this is tough. And then playing the mind games that I had with myself, instead of sticking with this is tough, I turned that around a little bit and said, this is tough, but so am I. And I uh, just pushed through it. The last half mile or a mile or so was, was tough. Um, but I also knew that I was hitting my paces and hitting my time and I didn't want to give up. So I finished strong and I had so far the probably the best race of my life. So thank you to A, uh, a to Z. Thank you, Andy and Zach, and uh, the support that you've given me through this. And I just look forward to the future. Seriously impressive work, Carl. Good job. Absolutely. So any one of us would love a 20-minute marathon PR, no doubt. Uh, but what none of us love is the marathon legs dregs that follow that marathon mm, nice transition. effort. Mm -hmm. And so that is why recovery is so important. And Roll Recovery has your back, or rather, they have your legs. Um, and with all of their recovery Back products too. found yeah, found at RollRecovery.com, you're sure to find something that can make a difference, like the customizable R8 multiple roller insert options. So you've got the super plush all the way to the super, what is this called, pointed? Deep. Wow. Um, and among other things, you can customize there on the R8. Now, we could sit here and tell you about why that's so great, but why not hear from Lewis from Roll Recovery to tell you exactly why the R8 achieves the goal. So, Lewis, you're telling us that we've got something special here, something different in terms of a recovery product, something that achieves the goal, the goal of recovery, deep tissue massage element uh, well, and that it's backed by research. Start us off on the R8 specifically then. What about it? What makes it work and do what it does well? Why the R8? All right, let's get, let's get gritty with it. So I brought my own in here as well. This is the standard R8 um, that we have. This is like the, the original, just like white. We also carry it in, in black and red. Or you can customize your own, which is why you guys have more than just a black or a white roller. Um, I have my own right here with a variation of inserts and, you know, I've, I customized the font on there as well. It says thunder from down on, <laughs> which is <laughs> stupid. I know, but it was fun to make. Um, so the R8 originally, uh, we called it that because of the eight nodes of contact. So there's the, these little four, these are what originally, by the way, were the rollerblades, but these eight nodes of contact are the actual parts that are meant to go much, much deeper than if this, this was just like a flat piece, right? You can see, and that if it was a flat piece, it would, it would just be like anything else on the market, which is because so many products out there are just cylindrical and there's not much texture to them and they don't not designed to like penetrate actual deep tissue. So that's where this would come in. So on top of the, the eight nose, what separates it is it's actually got these springs loaded in here and they are like, they're taut. So when you pull this out like this, I'll show you how to actually apply it to a muscle. But when you pull it out like that, it's going to snap back in. If you can gently apply that onto a muscle, then it, it, the pressure is there already. You don't have to apply any pressure. So it basically just takes away the work that you would otherwise have to put in when it comes to foam rolling. Can 
kicking off the world of running, we're starting close to home here in West Michigan. We had the Deemer Run 5K, a very fun local race put on by a local hero, an Olympian, Brian Deemer, three-time Olympian, in fact, and bronze medalist at the Olympic Games in the 3K steeplechase. He puts on this amazing race in our community that really draws quite a few amazing runners. And I had the opportunity to run it just a couple seconds off my PR, so thanks, Coach. Uh, and we also got a chance to catch up with the women's winner, and that was Catherine Mwanzo. And she was able to tell us how much she loved their race. So congrats to Catherine, and let's hear from her. It was very nice. I like the course. I like the place. It's very good. And I promise to come here back again. Love those local runs. Now, as you've all been anticipating greatly, we have the NCAA Track and Field National Championships to tell you about. So taking place from Tuesday, June 8th through Saturday, the 12th in famous Eugene Historic Hayward Field. Well, it's not historic anymore because they completely rebuilt the whole thing. But Hayward Field, Eugene, Oregon. And uh, this is the same location where they'll be holding the Olympic trials in only a couple of weeks. So kind of like test driving it for a little bit here for a major championship event. And we have so many exciting things. So here's what mm -hmm. we're going to try to do. We're basically going to try to lay out the winners of the individual winners of each of the key diddle middle and distance events. Um, but then we also have the results links and such that you can go check out yourself. And we'll try to give you just little tidbits of some things here and there that you'll find interesting. Yeah, and we also are linking to how you can watch these races because the NCAA has them on YouTube. At least at the moment. At the moment, <laughs> Hopefully yeah. Hopefully they stay there. <laughs> so let's start with a thing, Mo. I mean, what a great place to start with the collegiate record time in the 400-meter run of 49.57, breaking her own record. Yeah, that's not too shabby. It was crazy because I watched this race, and I'll obviously embed this too, but she like runs away from everyone, and when the camera finally ends on the finish line, there's no one else in the frame but her, <laughs> and this is a 400-meter race. So in a single lap, she makes everyone else look like pedestrians. No, no. They all looked like they were really fast, but she just pulled away. Because they are all really fast. She's <laughs> not fast enough for her. To be the best in collegiate history so, in the NCAA. <laughs> as as the question persists and so it continues, what will she run at the Olympic trials? I'm very excited to know. Yes, we're both very excited. So the men in the 400-meter run, it was also a very exciting race. And Randolph Ross ran a 43.85 to win the 400-meter run. And that's the third fastest time in collegiate history. So I guess that's pretty quick, too. And it's in his DNA. His father was an Olympian, world championship medalist. He's a coach, and he's the current director of track and field at Randolph School, uh, North Carolina A&T. And his name is Dwayne Ross. It was kind of funny in the interview afterward when he says, when my dad and I were talking about the race, I mean, when coach and I were talking <laughs> yeah, he, he did, did actually purpose. say that, yeah. It was funny. Mm-hmm. All right, so in the 800 meters, let's just uh, let's go ahead and start the rundown now. For the men, USC's Isaiah Jewett won the 800 with a time of 144.68. Very 
well executed race. As a matter of fact, I will say after watching the race, basically it struck me that he of everyone else in the race probably had to do the least amount of work and won the race. Mm. And what I mean by that is he ran the shortest distance. So he ran basically in lane one almost the entire time, but he was not leading the whole race. So he didn't have to do the work of setting the pace. He only had to pass one person on a straightaway, which is the easiest place to pass. And then he stayed there the rest of the run and didn't really have to change much. He just powered strong the whole time mm -hmm. and just stayed ahead of everyone. It was gutsy, though, because in the end, you could see like, uh oh, he might tie up. But he had already gained so much of a lead yeah. and he was still cranking. Oh, like, yeah. He wasn't he wasn't completely getting jello legs or anything, but you could tell like if this was any longer of a distance, he'd be in trouble. It was just a good example, though, of when you can execute that well, perfectly, you're setting really. yourself up for an advantage. It mm -hmm. doesn't mean you're going to win the race, but he held the execution through the entire race and as a consequence, definitely won it. Yeah. And Zach actually went past one of my notes and I have to mention it, Zach, it's a collegiate record. So the four by 400 meter. The reason I went past it is because. I don't really pay much attention to relays in 400 what? meters. What? It's, it's the most. Ex it can be the most exciting. Yes, of course, when you're sitting there at the okay. track meet well, after hours and hours and hours. I think Mu anchored anchored Texas A&M's win of the four by 400 meter run, and it was a collegiate record time of 3:22. We have to talk about these records, Zachary. Well, if everything except the relays and the 400 meters and shorter. So for the women's 800, Michaela Meyer ran too flat to win the race. Um, and that was that was of Virginia is where she attends. And apparently this was her sixth personal best time, according to Let's Run, in this season alone in the 800, which means she just basically has continued running faster and faster and faster until, you know, you get to the most important race of the year, the championships. And that's then ideal. That's very yeah. ideal. And t speaking of race strategies, I thought it was really interesting because what was different about these two was that Isaiah, he took the strategy of, you know, really trying to get a lead early. And the opposite was done of Michaela, which I think maybe is more typical where she did the perfect uh swing on the last corner and then uh one in that last straightaway so all of these great race strategies to pick apart so one of the things we like the most about championship races is that you see strategy happening much more so mm -hmm. the the mid-season races especially the ones that are about like qualifying times and such you know they've got pacers or rabbits the race is set up intentionally to just be like everyone run as fast as you can and we're not really concerned about who wins the race obviously they are but only as a minor attribute so the main focus is just getting the fast time but then you get to the championship and the only thing that matters mm -hmm. is winning the race and things happen differently and it's mm -hmm. really exciting to watch so speaking of exciting championship races, the 1500 meter was a highly anticipated run. You heard us talking about it because Cole Hawker of Oregon won that double indoors, the mile 3000 double, and in running outdoors qualified for both the 1500 and 5000. The first of the two to happen was the 1500, and Hawker did not disappoint from Oregon winning another national title his third on the year freshman by as the way. a freshman <laughs> in 335 he actually just missed the missed the olympic standard which is a time he has not run yet this year but 
he did run a new NCAA title over the collegiate record holder, Jared Ngusi of Notre Dame. Wow. So that's something. And that that race is on YouTube as well. So like I said, we'll we'll be letting you know how you can watch them because these are just really fun races to watch, as oh, we've yeah. been mentioning. And a camp one in a classic race strategy of passing on the final curve, like we were mentioning earlier, running away with the championship title in 408, which is a personal best time for camp. So I did also then want to note when we're talking strategy, it's always interesting to reflect on some of these things because um, in the, in that men's 1500. So when when you have a situation like a head to head or a head to head to head in the final straightaway, uh, basically it's it, you see a few different kinds of things play out. And um, Jared Nagusi and Cole Hawker were going head to head down the straightaway. Now Nagusi had the lead coming into yeah. it, but. Hawker was off his shoulder on the curve, which is like Andy keeps saying where you want to be. And so you're thinking about it like this. We're taking a slight left turn off the curve and Goosey's looking up at the Jumbotron, which is showing him who's behind him. Yeah. So it used to be that you had to look over your shoulder to see who's there. But now they've got the big camera and the screen is in the home straightaway intentionally so that the athletes can see more, which I, I don't know how I feel about this. But they do it in all the big races now. And so he's looking at the Jumbotron as Cole Hawker's passing him. So in that moment of glancing up here, he's not able to see that Hawker's already going by him. So by the time he notices in the Jumbotron, Hawker's already right there. Well, so here's the problem. Now, you have a couple choices to make as Nagusi here. If you didn't take that glance at the moment and you started to notice the, the athlete on your shoulder, the first thing that you'll notice these championship runners tending to do is they start drifting outward because what they're trying to do is they're trying to cut the line that the passing opponent has toward the finish. And so they slowly drift outward and they'll push them. You'll see this sometimes. They'll keep drifting outward until they're in lane like five, six, even seven no, sometimes. It happens. I've never crazy. seen it that far, oh, but yeah. I have seen this I'll go find a race before. sometime and show okay, it. Okay, that'd be great. But but so that's that's a strategy um, when you're the one in the lead to try to cut the line of something. Now that that runs many risks. One of them being if someone else is coming in and they now have an inside yep. track. That's happened. You've that seen has that happen. Yeah. Yep. And you wonder like why why did they leave that lane one open? <laughs> well, it's for this reason. It's because they're trying to cut off the other guy. Yep. Yeah. So so you get distracted by just one thing and you lose touch of the whole race. Obviously, the best strategy there is to just run faster than everyone else. <laughs> Um, but clearly Nagusi was struggling. He was he was feeling the burn and Hawker was really trying to trying to get the edge. Well, here's what happened instead. So Nagusi didn't get the the moment of anticipation he needed to start moving a little bit. And instead, Hawker comes around his shoulder and does the exact opposite thing, which is even a better scenario if you can put yourself in it, where he's now just a half a step ahead and he starts drifting inward. But Nagusi has nowhere to go because it's the rail. And so what happens is, and you'll see this, a really savvy racer will do this, which clearly Hawker knew what he was doing because it was on, on purpose for sure. But he drifts all the way inward, slowly forcing Nagusi to have to slow. Otherwise, he's just going to run into Cole Hawker. And I don't love that. No. And eventually, Hawker takes the full lane and Nagusi is behind him. Now, it might have just simply been because he was he was running faster. He had greater acceleration coming into that straightaway. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, if perchance Hawker started to struggle in the last like 50 meters or something, he still would have won that race because Nagusi would have had to go all the way around him. Yeah, I understand play. these race strategies, but I don't know. I these feel are like the... Is, the running is like the gentleman's sport. <laughs> I don't know about cutting people off and... <sighs> 
These are I the jerk know. moves that, you know, the things that are legal that you got to you got to have in your tool belt when you're in championship so what, do you, what do you do if you're the inside guy and someone starts leaning in on you? You start you, drifting you out. You your arm out. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> then you get disqualified. Oh, my yep, goodness. That's an obstruction. So you're, you're put in a real tight spot. Yeah. Literally. Literally a tighter <laughs> so spot. So in the 3,000 meter steeplechase, we got so much to cover and we're just going to keep talking. So much to cover. This is great. Uh, the men's steeplechase, Middle Tennessee State's Keegan Kamadi won. And this is significant because apparently it's the first victory in an NCAA title for Middle Tennessee State since 2003 or 13. Now I don't remember which year. You should but have written it in the notes. I should have written it. But it was it was a, a fair many years. Um, and so that being the case, it was a great run, uh, very tactical race. And he just blazed the final lap, which in a steeplechase while you're jumping barriers – it's hard to do, yeah. especially because you're generally that much tired. Speaking of being tired at the end of the steeplechase, yeah. second place coming into the final straight where you have one final barrier to jump. Ryan Smeaton from Oklahoma State was closing hard on Kamadi, but hit the final barrier, clipped it with his foot and fell Ouch. and ended up finishing third still, which is actually quite impressive because he jumped up real fast and still he was only, he only lost two seconds Wow! and he still finished two seconds. It's a behind. tight race. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's tough. Mala Norris of the Air Force won for the women, and that was also a pretty amazing race to watch because she was like in lane three the whole time. And I, I guess like, this this was like a big race for her. Obviously, she got a, got a PR <laughs> and you know won this championship race, but she did it in a very difficult way. Oh yeah, yeah. And she ran like you should see her finish. It is amazing, <laughs> and she only won by point zero five seconds, five hundredths of a second. Yeah, that's something. So part of why it was such a significant run is because she only ran the steeplechase for the first time. Two months before. <laughs> well, that might be the reason she was taking the outermost, or like she was trying to find the she was outermost being really position careful. because she didn't yep. want to get tangled up on these barriers. Yep. And that's where, like, novice steeplechasers, you tend to see a lack of confidence. And so they, they want more space for the jumping. But the more comfortable steeplechasers run into problems sometimes because they're more comfortable being closer together with people. They're not quite as worried about the barriers. And so they also risk making mistakes more easily because when you start to get tired, it doesn't matter how many times you've run a steeplechase, those barriers get taller in the last lap. <laughs> sure so. thing. Feels like it. In the 5,000 meters, then, on on the men's side, and once again, an Oregon show, uh, this time, Cooper Tier, who was supposed to win that indoor 3,000 meters, except Cole Hawker surprised everyone and took that victory. Well, Cooper Tier got his victory yes, he did. in the 5,000, running 13-12, substantial. Substantial meet record, more than six seconds off the previous meet record. Uh, one of the best performances in NCAA history and doing so in just a blazing run from line to line, a fast race, and then closing incredibly hard. It was just great to watch. Mm -hmm. And his teammate, Cole Hawker, was fourth. I so feel like it's worth not noting. Bad. Yep, not <laughs> bad. You win, you win the 1,500, come back for fourth in the 5,000. That's good. Um, Ellie Hens, she won for the women in 1528. So not quite as quick of a race overall. The men's race was like fast from the gun. The women's race was a little bit more tactical, mm -hmm. as they like to say. Yeah. And then for the 10,000 women, mm -hmm. 
Oh, you want me to go? <laughs> well, you've been saying all the other women's okay. ones. Okay, o- organs. Um, Camella Cardama Bays won the ten thousand meter title in front of her home crowd, and uh, she beat over Mary uh, Chelengat. Mercy Chelengat. Oh, sorry. Of Alabama, <laughs> who was the race favorite? Okay, yeah, yeah. Excellent. So in the men's race, Patrick Deaver of Tulsa also surprised another kind of upset, winning in twenty seven forty one. Mm. Which is a that, that's a decent time for a championship 10k. Usually those races are not incredibly fast times. Well, that was really exciting NCAA championship. So much we love championship races. So you got to go watch. We Andy mentioned we've got the race videos linked for most of these, and you want to watch them because it mm-hmm. just makes it that much more exciting. Also, you're going to see a lot of these same people at the Olympic trials in a couple of weeks. The top NCAA athletes tend to be the types that run as well at the world stage a thing so. mo oh yeah be watching that lady good She's speedy stuff yeah so speaking of fast international running um we've got a couple of meets here that we got to share that just just incredible stuff but the first one is from thursday june 10th in florence italy this was a diamond league meet which is usually held in rome this is the rome diamond league the, the diamond league meets are named by the city they're held in but Clearly, this was not held in Rome because it was in Florence. Um, That's a temporary thing, probably COVID-related. We didn't really need to look too much into it, but it was fast. So fast. So I want to start with the men's 5,000 meter because I'm just so amazed by what happened. Okay, so you heard us talk about Jakob Ingebrigtsen many times. Yes, it's like Zach's younger brother or something. Uh, It has nothing to do with that, (laughs) but I do like to say his name. So he has two brothers who are also world-class athletes, Actual which uh, makes, yeah, makes it just that much more interesting. He's the youngest of the three, in fact. Now, you've heard us mention him so many times because he has been setting Norwegian records now in the last almost 18 months um, at just about everything. Like mm-hmm. literally just about everything mm-hmm. on the roads and indoor and outdoor track, 1,500 up through 5K. Well, this was a 5,000 meter. And boy, oh boy, did he show the world that he is the guy to beat yeah. right now. Anytime he toes he the line somewhere, it's like he's the guy. He's, to beat. he's got the leading world time now, right? Yes. So okay. I haven't really spilled the details here because I'm building anticipation. Um, he ran. He won the Diamond League meet, which is always an impressive thing. I'll tell you who he beat in a moment in a Norwegian national record time which was also a European record, mm-hmm. 21-year-old European record, 1248. Woo! Yes. And that was his first time breaking 13 minutes. And a massive PR Smashed. to boot. Yeah, 12th all-time in the history of the world. Um, and doing so in that race over many of the world's best, including world record holder Joshua Cheptege of Uganda. So, yes, Jakob Ingebrigtsen just stuck it to a world record holder amongst many other world-class athletes. And With just, such composure, Zach. Just looked great. His <laughs> composure so exceeds his age, and I think that's why even as a 20-year-old, he races so well at yeah. these really you know, high-pressure, high-stakes, lots of competition because he's got this amazing composure. He is comfortable being amazing, which is not <laughs> true of everyone in the sport. Um, he's he's also uh, comfortable 
in in a race making really important decisions. So this race in particular was a fascinating one. You definitely need to watch it. We found it and we've linked to it. So you want to go so watch it. So hopefully this that one. will still be there by the time it's you exciting. click on it too. One of the reasons why you want to watch it is because he had to make a very important decision early in the race, eh, midway, sorry, midway through the race, where the leader pack kind of broke away almost accidentally because someone within the pack slowed fairly quickly and so what happens is you've got all these runners running in single file and a guy kind of in the middle of the single file suddenly starts slowing down because he's just fading hard and the rest of the guys behind him if they don't react instantly and then they need to go around him obviously there's immediately a gap and it forms quickly and it tends to form bigger because you have to now rebuild momentum so Mm -hmm. that happened um, not just to Jakob Ingebrigtsen, but the, the runners around him all got slowed and then they had to make up this gap. And Ingebrigtsen did exactly what you should do in that situation, which is he did not just charge right up and make it up right away. Instead, he knew, I'm feeling good. I'm in a great rhythm. We're already running super fast. So instead, he just eased his way toward mm-hmm. those leaders and to his credit, caught back up with them. And then just hung out there long enough to muster some more momentum and smashed them on the final lap. It was so good. It was so good. Okay. Well done. Um, a couple of others in the race and uh, some fast times all around there, by the way. But Hagos Gebruet of Ethiopia, who's a thir- three-time world and Olympic gold medalist. He was in that run. Didn't beat Ingebrigtsen. Wow. Mukhtar Idris, also of Ethiopia, was the 2019 world champion in the 5,000 meter. Couldn't hang. Canada's Mohamed, who ran 12.47 last summer, he was in there. Yeah, that was the Bowerman Track thing, wasn't it? Yep, he's a Bowerman Track Club guy. And then Justin Knight, also of Canada, also a 12-something-something-something 5K runner. Um, Those guys ran fast times in this race, but... It was Ingebrigtsen's show. Um, and then I mentioned Joshua Cheptegay was in there too. He ended up sixth place in the race. Did not look like uh, you know a gold medalist type of performance for him. So he's got a little bit of work to do because... Or he just had a day. Well, maybe. <laughs> he hasn't looked it though yet this spring. So we'll see. Yeah, the we'll Olympics see. are still a couple months. <laughs> oh, by the way, in fourth place was Spain's Mohamed Katir. For a new Spanish national ah, record we love national in a time records. of twelve fifty, excellent. Wow. Fourth place in that field. All right, Andy, tell us about the fifteen hundred. All right, Safan Hassan can't quit. She wow. is just taking the world by fire, even though she missed that re- world record. So she got the world record. We actually actually haven't updated you yet on the fact because it's later on in our tableau. We'll let you know in a minute, but she no longer <laughs> holds that record. In the, uh, that but she was back. Sh- yeah, I know, but she was wow. back showing her speed now in the fifteen hundred, and she won in three fifty three for a new world lead and meet record. That's excellent. And Faith Kipiegan, you might remember her from this winter. We were talking about her quite a bit, and then the summer too, because she was trying to hit that thousand meter record. Well, guess what, guys? She got the Kenyan national record now three, uh, sorry, three fifty three for the fifteen hundred. So she's got to be very pleased with that record. That's fast. Yeah. Yep. And then Laura Muir finished third in three fifty five, which is very strong for her as well. You see her, you know, around that four minute mark and under. Almost every time she races. She's rock solid. And this one, you know, she she didn't quite hang with those two. Um, but the pace was the pace was, was strong hot. the was whole time. Pace. And she just kept it close. 
Um, but she did say that uh, the race gave her some confidence for the Summer Olympics. So mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what that means. Maybe she felt like she had more to give, but uh, just didn't lay it out there yet. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. And all three of those were better than the previous world lead. <laughs> so it was fast a fast times, race. Yeah. Shaking things up. And seventh place, Elise Vanderlest uh, ran a new Belgian national record in 402. All right. More national records. So how many national records so far? One, two, three, four of them that we've already listed. So a lot of good things going on here. That was all in one single meet. Now, by the way, there were world-leading performances in several and a handful of events in this one meet. I mentioned the men's 5,000. Andy mentioned the women's 1,500. Also in the men's 3,000 steeplechase, Sufian El-Bakali of Morocco set a new world-leading steeplechase time in 8.08. Wow. Now let's bring it back to the U.S., to Central Park in New York City for the mini 10K. A little about the event. It's a it's, very small 10K. It's, but with big names. <laughs> I don't know why they call it mini. That would actually be really good maybe history for me to find out. Mini Cooper. Or maybe it's because it's in Central Park and, you know, it's kind of like a mini loop. I'm guessing it's sponsored by the car company Mini. Hmm. Otherwise, it makes no sense to call an event mini. Well, I don't know about the event, though. Beyond that, I don't have that question answered. But the the mini 10K began in 1972 as the first women's only road race. And then it was called Crazy Legs Mini Marathon. (laughs) Crazy Legs. Oh, that's why it's called mini, because it's part of a marathon. Okay, I get it now. Ah, okay, yeah. Sarah Hall won her second consecutive title there in 31-33, and she said that gave her confidence going into the trials, and it's the fastest time by an American in 49 years. So, right. the, Well, the 49-year event history. All right. And the runner-up, very interesting, is Olympian Bernard Lagat's sister, ah. Fola Cheptu, and she ran 31-39. And she is Kenyan, by the way. Bernard Lagat is American, but... Mm-hmm but his sister is still Kenyan. Yeah, so I thought that was a fun fact. Very interesting stuff. So we like road races because that's what we tend to do the most. Uh, But there's more news back on the track. So on this now, we're going back a couple more days. This is exciting. Hang with us. If you're like, oh, this is so much running stuff, but this is probably the most exciting stuff you'll hear. We saved the best for last uh, because it happened first. And that makes sense. So on Tuesday of last week, which was when we released our previous episode, which means we had recorded it before this happened um in the netherlands on in hengelo on the exact same track that sifan hassan broke the world record 10,000 meters on sunday two days later latessenbet gede of ethiopia re-broke the just set 10,000 meter world record which remember by another five seconds so remember that was a 14 second record to the previous record so it was like whoa this is like a huge gap in this world record like she really smashed it and then to have it bested (laughs) Tuesdays later is like mind-blowing so this event was the Ethiopian Olympic trials the Olympic team trials and for the distance stuff, Ethiopia does not necessarily send athletes in every event um, across track and field, but they are excellent in distance events, as you know. So this trials event was an 800 through 10,000 meter, including the steeplechase, and was held in the Netherlands. Now, it was held in the Netherlands because predominantly Ethiopia is, is mountainous um, and the capital city is even at like 
six or seven thousand feet of altitude and so as a consequence if they hold the championships which they often do hold them there uh, times are a little bit slower because it's at very high elevation so they did this on purpose so that the athletes could have an opportunity to not just compete in the championship but also run fast times so for those who didn't already have a world standard an olympic standard this was the opportunity Mm. to do that and it did not disappoint many were running olympic standards it was an incredible thing Um, so all of that to be to be said at the ethiopian olympic team trials latessin bet ran a new world record 10k essentially alone she did have someone with her almost through halfway through 5k but that's mostly because she intentionally ran the first 5k a fair bit slower than the record pace and then the second 5k threw down so her first 5k was 1442 that's fast you know world class but her second 5K was 14.18. Which is what? World lead? That's like the seventh or eighth fastest all time For in the 5K. The 5K. <laughs> yeah. Is that a world lead time? Do we know? Um, it would have been. But the world lead was actually bested by other Ethiopians okay. in this meet. So. <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, that, yeah. yeah. So she What a did negative that. split. I mean, what a negative split. And she did it on purpose. The the lights, the pacing lights that go around the track now, wave light technology, were actually set to accelerate as the race went on. So they intentionally set it up to be a negative split world record attempt. Wow. Brutal. Okay, so that's incredible. Uh, we could just continue talking about that. And in fact, we do have a little bit more to say um, simply because the question gets raised. So the two of them did this within two days of each other. Um, and, and you could say, wouldn't they know, like we're both in world record shape and well, yes, they would know because they have the same agent. So they knew both of them knew that the other one was going to be attempting the world record on these meets. Um, now then, then it gets more interesting because, well, if they have the same agent, why didn't they like coordinate some of this or something? This is clever. First of all, if they both break the world record on two separate occasions, which they did, they both get the world record bonus payout in their contracts. So this oh. agent is savvy, thinking like, <laughs> I'm going to help you make some money here, and I'm going to help you a lot by having you run separately, so you're both going to make money. Now, I think the agent also gets a, a commission That's how on, it works. on record bonuses. I'm just guessing. I don't know, because agent contracts are beyond me. But um, if so, that was a smart move for the agent, oh. self-serving as well. I didn't know that. How did you yes. find this out? So uh, digging, digging okay. and digging. Wow. So anyway, um, that makes sense. And I would have guessed already, I would have guessed that part of the reason why they did that, knowing obviously that both of them, they did it in the same location, meaning they were both there in the city together at the same time. Um, not necessarily that they were like hanging out or something. I don't even know if they know each other directly, but. Um, sure they know of each other. They know of each other. So Yes, that, that makes sense. They wanted the bonus payouts. The best way to do it in that instance is to do it in two separate events. If you think that both have a good chance at doing it and don't need each other in the race, clearly they didn't. Um, but the other thing is, so they're going to face off you know, at the Olympics. Right. We're going to see that. I mean, there's almost no doubt that both of them will be running the 10,000 at the Olympics. Um, and so as a consequence, there's a little bit of like, hold off, you know, wait, let's not have them race each other yet, even though they could, and even though they could be both running world record performances in the same race, which would be so exciting. Um, However, let's give them the bonus payouts separately so they each get it. And let's save the big race for the Olympics. Hmm. It's it's all very exciting. So we're going to see the agent, the mind of an agent. going. Now, (laughs) all of that said, the reflection then is who if, if it comes down to the two of them in the race, 
who's the favorite? Like, who's the likeliest to win that battle? Uh, Latessa Mbette has the world record in both the 5,000 and the 10,000. Wow. She's the first woman to hold both of those records since 1993. So she's got something special that others don't. Mm-hmm. However, Sifan Hassan won in 2019 both the 1,500 and the 10,000. And she's range. like only the first or second woman to ever do that. That is a range. And we just saw, so Sifan Hassan ran that 1500 we were talking about, 353, right? She ran that, which is very fast, much faster than Gade's best 1500. Um, and she did it four days after running the world record, 10,000. So, like, that was basically like, look at me, kind of move by his Hassan. So, yeah. Yeah. I am very excited to see the Summer Olympics and the women's yes. races. Very exciting. Okay, so we just spoke a lot longer than we needed to about that, but it's because it's exciting. And now in the 5,000 at the Ethiopian trials, there was more excitement going on there. We mentioned already the world lead time went down. Um, It didn't just go down. Previous to this event, the world lead was like 1430-something. And then Gudaf Segei ran in the Ethiopian trials. And a by the way, she's the world record holder in the 1500 indoors. So you already know, like she's got good stuff going on right Mm now. Um, She won. In 1413, mm. the fifth fastest all-time 5,000 meter. But get this. So obviously a new world lead. But get this. Second and third place were also right with her. They This was not a solo effort. All three line to line battling it out. And then one second behind Segei was Edgayehu. Sorry. Edgayehu. Taye. In 1414, and then Senberry to Ferry in 1415, rounding out the top three, and also the sixth and seventh all time Uh. ever. So, three women running under 1420 in a single race never happened before. Three of them in the top seven all time, all from the same country, all on the same day. Whoa. (laughs) I wonder if they have like eyes on sweeping at the Olympics. I mean,. It's a real threat. It's a so very it's a real, real threat. They could go one, two, three in the Olympics, which would just be wow. crazy. It's, it wouldn't be the first time something like that's happened. But So, Andy, I'm not going to make you say this <laughs> this name for the 800 meter in the women, but we do have a new national record for Ethiopia in the 800 as well, and this is work Wuha Getachu, and she ran 156.67 for an Ethiopian national record and a new world-leading time. Are you like just so excited from hearing all of these national records and crazy just, fast performances? What was that? Sixth? Our sixth record? I, I mean, national or world or area? <laughs> I read an article where someone was like, Are we getting fatigue from these like, oh, yeah, yeah. world best times? I'm not. I'm no. certainly like geeked upon it. I think that this is really exciting. You know, I, I don't know. I feel like we all need this kind of excitement after not seeing as many races <laughs> last year's. I think people it's are ready stuff. to go, rip, yeah. roar, and ready. It's good stuff. And sure, there's a comment here about like the changes in the technology and some other things that are making people run faster. And ab- obviously, the shoes are playing some part in this. So we've talked about the road shoes, right? The super shoes with the carbon and all of that. Well, the track shoes, Nike made a super spike just like their super shoe. It's just slightly different engineering because you can't have that huge, thick shoe on mm-hmm. the track. There's a limit. The World Athletics 
uh, organization said 29 millimeters, 27 millimeters. I can't remember, but the Nike super shoe on the road is like 40 millimeters thick. So obviously it's, it's gotta be a little different, but they still made a super track spike as well. They've got that wave light technology. So the runners can follow the pacing lights on the track. Everyone talks about those kinds of things. Sure. It's playing some factor in this, but all it's doing is it's basically just creating a little upset, an uptick in the kind of the general flood. And then we're going to, yeah, maybe we'll see a bunch of new records for a bit. And then it's going to just kind of level itself back out. And we're going to see, you know, these same athletes chipping away at these incredible performances. So I don't Mm -hmm. mind seeing it. No, it's good stuff. One other uh, general comment about, uh, and I say one, but it's a few things about the Ethiopian trials. Um, Just so, I mean, so many great performances, so many great things, but one of the interesting factors here is that Ethiopia has said their athletes will not be allowed to double in the Olympics. They have to choose one event and only compete in one, which actually does make sense by the way, because Ethiopia's distance runners are so competitive at the world stage that you have three, four, five athletes in any event capable of meddling. And as a consequence, if you have athletes doubling and they're maybe a little bit more fatigued and someone else who could have been fresh could have meddled, like that's a risk that they would take if they let athletes double. So it's not the first time a country has said, eh, we're going to try to limit that a bit so that we have a best chance for things like medals. However, the point being, they've also said at the same time that they're not going to make any decisions final based off the trials, but they'll, you know, maybe per chance adjust things. So I, I'm not going to, we'll wait and see until mm-hmm. the teams are officially announced. We'll wait and see. That's it. Mm-hmm. Interesting stuff. So what else do you need to know before we wrap up this incredible week in the world of running? Um, I think just mainly that these are the exciting times. And so through the month of June, we're going to continue to see just incredible and lots of things going on. Um, And then we'll get we'll get a little bit of a kind of a break in July while everyone basically hunkers down for a final few weeks of gearing up for the Olympic Games. You don't see a lot of intense racing during that period, a little bit, but not much. Um, And so as a result, everyone's doing their fast stuff right now because this is when they're hitting the world time. This is when they need to make sure that they've run the fast times so that they can actually compete in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And so as noted, a lot of new world leads, a lot of, you know, new, very fast things. Um, the men's 800 meter had a new world lead in Nice, France. Uh, Oliver Dustin of Great Britain ran 143, wow. which is super fast. Uh, but then across the top 20 boards, we had just in, all of them almost were completely rewritten. I think there were only two events. It was the women's 800 and the women's steeplechase that had fewer than seven new top 20 world performances. And then of the rest of the events, there were several that had 10 or more. The women's 1500 had 14 new entries to the top 20 list in this week alone. So buckle up. Buckle up. This is going to be a fun uh, a fun season of racing, a fun Olympics to follow. Some of the best in the world, many of the best in the world are competing the like in our times. And so that's why we're so excited to do World of Running segments for you because we are living in in a time where there's world records being broken and we can celebrate as part of the running community these great achievements that are being done. So on a less positive note, Shelby Houlihan was banned for four years, meaning our American favorite for the 5K, the American record holder in the 5K, will not be representing Team USA in Tokyo because of this ban. 
Now, she was banned because she had failed one of the drug tests. There was an anabolic steroid called uh, nandrolone. And the tragic thing about this is that as I've been reading and, you know, really kind of trying to explore what this is, it really doesn't seem like she did this on purpose. And also the level was at the bare minimum, meaning she wouldn't have been getting a very high advantage from this if she were to have intentionally ingested it. So Andy is has in fact done a lot of reading on this, uh, in, in part because if we're going to bring this up, we, we want to be confident in our reaction as well. And what we see here is a clear example of this organization not achieving its purpose. Mm. Its purpose is to catch the people who are cheating. And this organization, I'm talking about the, the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency. They're supposed to catch the people who are cheating to try to gain an advantage in the sport so that we keep the sport honest. And from all indications, even if Shelby Houlihan was cheating knowingly, she definitely wasn't doing a good job of it because the amount of substance in her system was so small it wasn't going to give her any advantage. Yeah. So they're going to ban her for four years for basically not giving herself an advantage, but it was just more yeah. than what they liked to see. So the story is that she had pe tested positive. She didn't know what it was either. So she investigated it, found out that you can get it from pork. And she had eaten at a food truck the previous day and had this like big burrito, I guess, which we all love as runners. I hear taco. Taco is a thing. We love it almost as much as coffee. So anyway, she really like this was devastating, obviously, obviously super devastating. So she took a polygraph test, submitted hair samples. And even though those things came back clean, her appeal was not accepted. And the WADA agreed that the test proved that there's no buildup of this substance in her body. So World Anti-Doping Agency says, eh, this doesn't look fishy to us. U.S. Anti-Doping no, no, Agency. No, it was them that, no, it was it was the world. Anti-Doping Agency was the one saying, we're still not going to accept it. Ah. Yeah. So now here's, here's what I have to say in reaction to all of these things, which is simply this. There is clearly no effort to prove malicious endeavor here. So what they do is they look at that and they say, well, this test said, and so... Um, and, and this is not a judicial proceeding. There, there's no, you know, due process dynamics going on here. And there never is with these things. We understand that. However, maybe, maybe there should be some element of like, can we prove that you were trying to cheat here? Because if we can't, and you had a teeny tiny bit of something in your system that you're ruining potentially someone's life. Yeah. And you're doing it. Why? Because you think there was some. So the, the, the volume here matters because what basically they're saying is there's an amount that is considered to be about natural to just have in your system because your body produces this steroid naturally. And she had a minimum. minuscule yeah, amount over minimum. the natural amount. And we understand humanity, right? Like people have kind of like normal variations in small degrees of fluctuation, which is exactly what this is. I don't buy it. Yeah. I don't buy well, it. Well, others in my research that were caught had 100 times to 1,000 times the limit where she had the bare minimum. Yeah. So, so that's what makes me cheat, think like. You're really bad and, at it, Shelby Houlihan. And it's very easy to detect. That was the other thing they were saying. It's like it's super easy to detect. And this article that I read was actually from a long time. Like it was from 
early so it was 2000s. Easy to detect so, 20 years ago, imagine so, now. Well, <laughs> what I'm saying is this was not trying to clear Shelby Houlihan or anyone for that matter. It was just giving it was in sport law magazine mm-hmm. um so i was just trying to like lay out what this is and why t- athletes are testing positive for it so we don't claim to know the answers on this we don't know maybe there's some sort of maybe there is something going on we don't know but the evidence that we're seeing does not point to shelby using nandrolone as a performance enhancing sub uh, substance and she was the one who actually you know first notified me of the situation like not personally but she posted it (laughs) publicly and she came out in front of it and I thought that was cool too and she's just saying I love this sport like this is this is my dream and and I wanted to compete clean and that she and she told us like she hasn't taken um any performance enhancing substances so I mean (laughs) so I'm I'm like I'm I'm willing to believe her based on this evidence (laughs) So here's the thing, regardless of whether or not she is telling the truth, this organization is implementing what appears to be a shoddy decision. Um, And these organizations are somewhat known for these shoddy decisions, things like banning athletes for missing too many drug tests when, you know, they don't always show up at exactly the times when they're supposed to, but yet they still say it's your fault because you weren't there. I, I've seen and heard way too many things to suggest that these things are doing the great work that they're supposed to be doing. And, but we do need clean sports. So there, yep. there's the there's the rub. There's so. a better way is my point. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see a little bit of that betterness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's hard. Speaking of seeing betterness, we've always got more content for you coming soon. So you definitely want to stay tuned next time for that. And if we can help you in any of your training endeavors, or if you just got comments, questions, and other things that you'd love to share with us, please reach out. Head to A to Z Running com look for the word follow or if it's a training need look for the word coaching and maybe we can help you there as well and don't forget the giveaway that ends tomorrow